Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. And a very happy Passover and happy Easter to all who are celebrating. I hope that it's joyous and delicious and that you are with family and friends and savoring the season. Spring is hopefully almost here. The birds are chirping and the flowers will start blooming and the weather will turn warm and it is time to celebrate. So I have delicious inspiration in your radio today on lots of sweet things. Recipes and tips for marvelous meals are shared on this show. This hour, you'll gain ideas for how to eat well, how to live well, because this show is for people who love to cook or love to eat, I like to say. Uh, You could be either. We could definitely be friends. And each week, I'll tell you about my favorite finds and wines and recipes and authors, foods, restaurants, gadgets, and more. Because you will hear from distinguished authors, artisans, and chefs on this show, mixologists, wine aficionados, oh, and lots more culinary inspiration to come. And we always dish. It's my goal that you will become a more confident cook. So I hope you'll visit chefjamie.com where I'm always serving up seconds. And you'll find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. Coming up, in fact, we do have distinguished guests this hour, Kat Craddock. She is the culinary director for Savour Magazine, of which I am a great fan, is talking classic recipes modernized, and she has some really phenomenal ideas. Also, we are going to share some scrumptious sweets just in time for Platinum Jubilee, in fact, the former royal chef to the Prince and Princess of Wales, Prince William and Prince Harry, is sharing her best-loved recipes. Carolyn Robb is here, pastry chef for the Royal House. Oh, yes. And it should be quite a lovely conversation. I'm very excited. But first, I like to kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts, one that makes you the best cook you know, or better yet, a brilliant baker. But for this technique, you can be a non-baker. Really, it's for everyone who has a sweet tooth, this next conversation. And if you love cake, well, then don't touch your dial. Light, airy, no guilt cake. Sounds good, right? Because it's just too light and lovely to have calories, in my opinion. I've decided that the best way to satiate my sweet tooth for spring is to bake and reap the rewards of my work. That way, the gratification is so much better. So, just a couple of days ago, I made an angel food cake because it felt quintessential spring. And for avid bakers, spare egg whites are a way of life. After you make pudding or custard or ice cream base, those leftover egg whites can really start to pile up. You save them, right? Okay, good. 
And for those of you that might not bake often, no worries in separating an egg. And you can always add an extra yolk to your morning scramble. Makes it richer and more delicious. Um, But you will just make this angel food cake with fresh eggs, cracked and separated. Now, in my opinion... Angel food cake is something to marvel at. It's a dessert that's airy and light and lean, but it's flavorful enough to stand on its own, whether you serve it naked with fresh fruit, a dollop of whipped cream, you could even do a drizzle of ganache. As far as I'm concerned, you could do anything on angel food cake. Now, Americans have been whipping up angel food cake since the 1840s. It's actually categorized as a sponge cake. It's pillowy soft. It should be light as cotton candy and just as tender, too. And its sweetness, sweetness rather, is tempered by a generous spoonful of salt. And the toasted flavor of its lightly browned crust, plus that aromatic dose of vanilla, makes it the sort of cake that's really worthy of your time in the kitchen. And uh, days of that stolen slice late at night or the sweet treat for breakfast because you just can't help yourself. So recipes for angel food cake always start with egg whites. They're whisked until foamy and light and then sugar is spooned in a little at a time. The whipping and sugar sprinkling continue. It's a foolproof method, by the way. It just takes some patience. And you get this billowy meringue that holds peaks. Now, that foam or billowy meringue is referred to as a French meringue, and it's the airiest of all the styles. And by the way, the work is accomplished by your electric mixer. Oh, yay. So let's talk ingredients if we could. Egg whites play an integral role in the structure of an angel food cake. And egg whites are composed of many proteins that aid in creating a voluminous cake. Now, the whites are accented by the help of cream of tartar, which is an acidic salt that adjusts the pH of the egg whites so the proteins will be more soluble. And I can tell you from experience, if you don't use cream of tartar, your cake will not reach its maximum volume. Now, there's another interesting point about cream of tartar, and that is that it decolorizes the pigment in the flour, which gives the final cake that bright white color. Who knew, right? That's pretty cool. And as for flour, the flour plays an important role in the texture, the structure, and the elasticity of an angel food cake. So cake flour is often called for, although you can make an angel food cake with all-purpose flour. Cake flour is just lighter and tends to keep the batter light. And you will need sugar, Because angel food cake really only has a few ingredients, the sugar functions as a sweetener, a stabilizer, and a tenderizer. And here's a very important tip. Please listen closely. When it comes to baking your first or your 31st angel food cake, cooling the cake Upside down is the only way to go. You harness the power of gravity to stretch rather than compress the cake's tender crumb. That is why it is immensely important not, and I repeat, not to use a nonstick pan. If you use a nonstick pan, the cake will go splat. The nonstick properties don't allow the cake 
to hold on to the sides when you turn it upside down. So you just need a standard angel food cake pan that is not nonstick. And you don't need to invest in an expensive one uh, because a standard one should give you the results that you're looking for. Now, I recommend that you stick with a standard aluminum tube pan. That's what angel food cake is usually made in, about 10 inches across the top and four inches deep. And it has a removable bottom so that you can pluck out the cake when it's cool. And you want to wash and dry the pan if you buy a new one before you use it. It cannot have any residual grease or any dirt left in it when you make an angel food cake. Now, you could make an angel food cake in a bunt pan as well. The fluted sides make releasing the cake a little more difficult. The center tube in a tube pan allows the cake batter to rise high and it allows it to release better and it allows it to crawl up the sides and rise. And I think a tube pan is the way to go. Now, I happen to love the rustic appearance of the top golden crust of an angel food cake, but you can pile in all kinds of fresh berries that cascade from the center. And when you go to cut it, please use a serrated knife to keep the cake from compressing. But whether or not you've ever made angel food cake before, I hope you'll try your hand at it because it really is a blissful treat. And for my mastered recipe for angel food cake, please email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com because I will gladly share it with you. All right, coming up, we are going to continue the sweet stuff. As mentioned, the former royal chef to the Prince and Princess of Wales, Prince William and Prince Harry, is here. Carolyn Robb is sharing tea at the palace, and I can't wait. I am raising my pinky finger and my teacup, and I hope that you will do the same. Grab a snack. Come on back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. There's more scrumptious conversation right after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, and cheers to sumptuous sweets. Just in time for the Platinum Jubilee, the formal royal chef to the Prince and Princess of Wales, Prince William and Prince Harry, shares 50 of her best-loved recipes fit for any tea time event. You see, Carolyn Robb served as the chef at the Royal House for 13 years, and her first cookbook release 
is just lovely. It's beautiful and inspiring and picturesque, actually. In Tea at the Palace, a cookbook, Carolyn shares delectable, sweet, and savory tea time treats, all of which are tied to 12 of Britain's best-loved royal palaces and castles. And wait till you see the imagery. They are only second to the absolutely beautiful desserts that Carolyn creates. By the way, all relying on seasonal ingredients, all with really very clear, easy to follow instructions. This is a a beautiful cookbook to follow after if you are looking to add to your dessert collection and to celebrate tea time. Did you know that the queen throws garden parties in her 42-acre private garden behind Buckingham Palace? The recipes in Carolyn's cookbook represent what is served by Her Majesty at said parties. And each recipe has a story of its own and a taste of the traditions that surround British afternoon tea and what could be better. Carolyn Robb joins us live. And I am so delighted. Carolyn, welcome. What a beautiful cookbook. You should be so proud. Oh, hello, Jamie. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yes, it's I know. It's really lovely to be on your show. Well, th- thank you kindly. I- I'm um, very honored to have you here. I- I'm eager to know about your time as the royal chef, but because we're having a conversation over tea, or I wish we were virtually, you speak about in the introduction, uh, and I quote, as James, uh, Henry James said, there are few hours in life more agreeable than the hour dedicated to the ceremony of afternoon tea. And I wonder if you would just lead with that. Talk about the custom, the traditions of afternoon tea in England. It's a real, uh, one of those things that's just so um, quintessentially British. And um, really interesting, because I grew up in South Africa, my ah. mum was English. Um, and as I say, although it was a South African upbringing, the one thing, the one very British thing about it was that every day we would sit down for afternoon tea, even as little children. And my mum was an amazing cook and baker and always had fresh baked cookies and cakes mm. um, dashed away in the larder. Um, so for me, it's always been a really big part of my life. And I just love afternoon tea I love creating it for other people Hmm. and obviously I love to sit down and enjoy it myself and while I was working in the royal household um, afternoon tea obviously sort of featured on many days Um, it wasn't usually an all singing all dancing affair though on a on a regular day Prince Charles would um, sort of have a 10 minute break from his paperwork and have a nice cup of Earl Grey tea and a slice of fruit cake so it wasn't a whole a whole big spread every time. Um, but when there were guests there, that was brilliant because then I had the opportunity to really mm-hmm. pull out all the stops and, and get baking and make some of my favorite things. Yes, I love that you have memories as a child of afternoon tea. I would think uh, that those those live on. You speak to, I know in the book, some of the recipes being passed down from your mom and what a beautiful tradition. I have a, an afternoon tea tradition or we do in our family. My mom always loved afternoon tea and still does, Carolyn. And so twice a year, uh, every year, we celebrate with afternoon tea. Certainly not as great as as the teas I've had um, in London or outside of. But uh, for Mother's Day and pre-Christmas, we always go to afternoon tea. And I love it. I love the the beauty of it and the 
feel of it and the elegance of it and the finger sandwiches and the indulgence of scones and the fact that everything is carb overloaded. I mean, I just, I love all of it. I do. It's such an indulgence, isn't it, isn't it, to be sitting down at that time of day and just, um, yeah, just chatting and enjoying yourself. Yes, definitely so. Uh, give us a, a, just a taste. And of, I think I, I really enjoyed, um, particularly afternoon tea for children, is one of the things that I love most of all because there's so much scope um, with the little cookies and cakes hmm. and meringues and sandwiches just yes. to um, really give children a real treat. Yes, and, and that will give us a taste or a glimpse into your life as the royal chef. Uh, what a demanding, extraordinary, beautiful honor. I can imagine 13 years at the helm as the royal chef of a palace. Um, it was. It was, an amazing, it was an amazing privilege to be there. Um, very hard work, obviously, sort of long hours and lots of traveling and moving around. Um, but looking back now and just thinking sort of who I cooked for, um, cooked for the Queen a few times, sort of cooked for most members of the royal family over the years. Um, but to have been there for William and Harry from the ages of um, seven and four right through to when they were 18 and 15 is a, is a huge privilege as well. And to um, have sort of observed how their um, culinary tastes changed and, mm. and developed over the years. That was really fun. I, I can only imagine. Just for the record, to me, you are royalty in being able to say that. <laughs> and so I'm going to treat you as such for the next 15 minutes. I just want you to know. <laughs> you speak about royalty for the little ones. I have a little one, as you know. I love the idea of sitting down to afternoon tea. That's snack time anyway, right? And there are a couple of specific recipes in your book that spoke to me. Um, you make little scones with raspberries and clotted cream. And I think we should start there because they're quintessential afternoon tea. I love this debacle. I never knew that there was a an ongoing, uh, it's not an argument really, is it? But it's a controversy of which goes first, oh, jam or cream? Absolutely, yes. Um, cream teas originated in the um, down in what we call the West Country. So right down in the south of England, there's Devon and Cornwall, which are two counties right next to each other. Right. Um, and Devon, as I say, it's, it's cream first and then jam and Cornwall. Cornwall is the other way around. So there's always a great um, great dispute as to which it, which it should be. So it's always a great topic of conversation. <laughs> and so what do you place first on the scone? Do you do clotted cream or do you do jam? I tend to be um, jam with a bit of cream on the top. Okay. I don't know why, but that's just what I've always done. <laughs> and, and I've always known it that way too. I think if you were to put them on the table in front of me, I would reach for that order as well. Um, the secrets to your scones, of course, never overworking that dough, just like a biscuit, right? Like a, a beautiful that's southern right. biscuit dough we know of. Um, is that the greatest yes. secret of it? It is, yeah. Work really lightly and also work really quickly and get them into a really hot oven. I think those are probably the, my best, uh, yeah, the, the basics for a really good scone. And yeah. I think it's nice to do, um, as you say, the little miniature ones are especially good when you have quite a big um, selection of things on offer at tea time. Mm-hmm. Um, you just don't necessarily want to fill themselves up on a great big scone and then um, not be able to taste everything else 
on the table. <laughs> All right, I'm keeping going because I, I've marked every page that I can't wait to make the recipes from in your book. There's more scrumptious conversation right after this. By the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late. Carolyn Robb is here. The cookbook release entitled Tea at the Palace, a cookbook, is getting rave reviews and deservedly so. Carolyn is the formal, former personal chef, rather, to the Prince and Princess of Wales. She served 13 years at the Royal Palace, and these are her most favorite traditional and contemporary recipes inspired by in uh, the actual settings and events rather uh, of all of these experiences she's had at the helm. Um, Going back, sorry, Carolyn, I am a meringue lover and I aspire to the perfect meringue in all of its forms and you speak to it. A thin, crunchy shell, the soft, chewy, marshmallow-like center, and with the addition of freeze-dried raspberry powder, which, by the way, I love. There, that is one of my favorite ingredients. Um, this it's so good, isn't it? Oh. You can um, introduce the flavor of raspberries without changing the texture of, of delicate pastries. Yes, I... I do something, and the color color is gorgeous. I do something probably sacrilege to you, um, but I like to layer um, whipped cream and raspberry powder and then crush meringue cookies over it. So it's like a meringue trifle of sorts, I suppose. Uh, A convoluted one, really. Oh, it's and it's lovely. So I was very, very excited. Very yes, indulgent. yeah. I was very excited to see your uh, freeze-dried raspberry powder. And you use raspberry vinegar in the recipe, which was interesting to me. It, yes, um, vinegar obviously gives that lovely um, texture in the center of the meringue. It helps, helps with that. Um, but again, just the raspberry vinegar is so piquant and it's so, um, it's aromatic as well. And I think it gives, a little bit of um, raspberry aroma as well when you, you bite into the meringue. Oh, I can't wait. Um, to honor my mother, I'm asking you about your almond cake. That is a, a very Italian-style almond cake, is it not? Based in um, ricotta cheese. And so you, you have texture from the polenta and the almonds and the lemon and the ricotta. Oh, yes. It is. It's a really interesting cake because when you look at the ingredients, you think it's going to be quite a heavy cake. Mm-hmm. Um, but it isn't. It's a lovely cake. It's a, a, almost a velvety texture. It's really moist. Um, and again, it's got that lovely uh, tangy, mm. citrusy flavor, which I think is, well, I love that in a cake. But it's surprising to look at. It's nothing spectacular, but it's absolutely beautiful to taste. And gluten-free. I highly recommend that. And it's, it's a bonus as well that it's obviously gluten-free. Yes. Yeah, no, I think that's wonderful. Um, You have a yogurt-based cake, definitely on the more modern side of traditional English desserts. Um, It's a lemon and thyme cake. And isn't that beautiful? You speak about the joy of going out to pick fresh herbs from the garden 
just the moment before you dressed a cake. What were the gardens like? Oh, the gardens were absolutely beautiful. Um, But the best part of it was the the walled garden, which was the garden where all the fruit and vegetables that we used were grown. Um, There was a wonderful gardener, Dennis, who'd been there for years and years. Um, And it was his life. It was his pride and joy, this garden. And it was just um, such a dream and such a, a privilege to be able to well, to have access to such beautiful produce um, where most chefs would sit in their offices and, and sort of ring up the greengrocer and, and yes. order, their, order their fresh produce. I would um, walk down the garden and, and talk to the gardener and either pick it or he would pick it and it would arrive on the kitchen table in a beautiful basket <laughs> um, a couple of hours later and then go straight onto the table. So it was just amazing. And the, um, the range of fruits and vegetables and fresh herbs that were in the garden was absolutely brilliant. Um, as I'm sure you know, Prince Charles is an avid um, champion of sustainability and, yes. and the organic, um, the whole sort of organic movement. Yes. Um, and also he was um, patron of some amazing societies and charities, um, one of them being um, one where they preserve rare, old-fashioned and rare um, varieties of fruit and vegetables. So we had some wonderful, wonderful things in there that I had certainly never seen before I got to Highgrove, but mm. beautiful old-fashioned vegetables and lots of berries and, oh, just, it was absolutely stunning, the produce. Just gorgeous. That, that imagery of that cake is exquisite, as is what I think is the piece de resistance of Tea at the Palace, a cookbook. You make a white chocolate and mint cake That is, that's outrageous, Carolyn. I mean, really, (laughs) absolutely fabulous. Oh, well, it's, um, yes, I think it's, a green cake is quite unusual, but Mm -hmm. it really works um, for this cake. It's it's very minty. I always use um, oil of peppermint rather than an an artificial um, peppermint essence, um, which gives it this lovely flavor. And then the, the white, the white chocolate frosting um, just goes so beautifully with it. Mm. So that's definitely one that, another one to put on your list to make. <laughs> yes, my, my weekend project, thank you. And then, of course, there is savory strewn throughout the cookbook. I can't wait to make your goat cheese, zucchini, and chive muffins. What a lovely, as you say, welcome departure from tea sandwiches. That would be so nice to serve at an afternoon tea. Yes, they are. They're lovely. And again, you can, like the um, scones, you can make really little miniature bite-sized ones. Um, and I'm, I'm all in favor of um, substituting ingredients. Yes. So if you don't have goat cheese, you could always use some, I don't know, some feta cheese or sure. um, some Swiss cheese. Mm. And if you don't have zucchini, you could use scallions. And if you don't have chives, you could use some um, basil or um, parsley. So... Um, all of these recipes, as I said, um, all, all in favor of perhaps you don't have exactly the right ingredients, but just um, use what's in season, use the herbs that are in the pot on your kitchen windowsill, um, and make each recipe your own. Yes, I love that. The mini vanilla ginger and buttermilk, lo- buttermilk loaves are on my to-do list as well, but I would be remiss if I let you go before you shared the beauty of Welsh rarebit, please. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely one of the best things to have on a cold winter's day. Yes. It's amazing. Amazing. Um, 
Yeah, we don't really know the uh, the history of that entirely. It, it originates in Wales, um, but it's this most amazing, um, unctuous version of, of cheese on toast, really. Um, and it has lovely buttery caramelized onions mm. um, on top of a piece of really thick, beautiful bread. Yes. Um, and yes, lots of molten cheese on top of that oh. with a bit of um, seedy mustard and some ale and wonderful ingredients. And traditionally, it would be served as a lunch dish or um, maybe even as a light evening meal. Um, but I love it so much. I just thought, actually, people shouldn't miss out. There's no reason for you not to have a little, a little finger of it at afternoon tea. And it's also... Um, in England, the weather is so often so gloomy that it's just really nice to have some warm, savoury items. Um, yes. As we've already discussed, you don't always want a smoked salmon sandwich or a cucumber sandwich. <laughs> so I just want to introduce some different ideas. And I, but that's I lo- another one you've got to try. Yes. Oh, I love that you did. I can't wait to introduce my son to Welsh rabbit, rabbit because I'll tell you, it is. It's the English version of cheese toast as we have it. And what could be better than that? Your recipe looks delectable, um, as do all of them in the book. Carolyn Robb's second cookbook has just released. There is a third on the way. Shh, don't tell. Sneak preview. Carolyn, I'll hope, I hope you'll come back. Uh, this cookbook, Tea at the Palace, a cookbook, is filled with beautiful food and imagery and inspiration for serving an afternoon tea fit for a queen. And who better than for it to come from the former chef at the Royal House for 13 years. Tea at the Palace, a cookbook. It's just beautiful. Um, Already highly rated on Amazon, available in fine bookstores everywhere. Carolyn, it was a a privilege and a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for gracing the show and for sharing your passion. Thank you so much, Jamie. I've loved talking to you. (laughs) Well, thank you, as have I you, and I hope you will come back and share your next prose. Oh, I'd love to do that. I look forward to it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Carolyn Robb. We do have great culinary thinkers on this show, don't you think? And there is lots more fabulous food guaranteed in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't touch your diet. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio as the delicious conversation continues. Oh, you know I'm a fan. Savour Magazine, the now entirely online culinary publication for serious foodies, is always chock full of glorious stories about the wonderful world of food and traveling the globe and richly researched recipes for your table. It's filled with talented food fanatics that love to cook. So, as I've said before, who better to dish with on what's trending than Kat Craddock, the executive director of Savour? She's back. We are celebrating the re-release, new and improved, follow-up, of course, to the best-selling 2015 original of the Savour, the New Classics cookbook. And I have to tell you, if there was ever an encyclopedia of the most treasured recipes, deeply and thoroughly researched and written and story told, with new additions that bring it up to date and trendy, this is it. 
I put my trust in Savour recipes I have for many, many years. And this is a brilliant cookbook to add to your collection. And I am ever delighted when Kat sits down to dish. Welcome back, my friend. How are you? I'm great. Great to be here, Jamie. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Yes, of course. Glad to have you back. Uh, What do you think, in your culinary opinion, constitutes a classic recipe by definition? That's ever evolving, isn't it? It definitely is, yeah. And I think, you know, this this book was originally put together by our former editor-in-chief, James Osland, um, and Helen Rosner working with him. And he very succinctly defined it for us, and we tried to stick to that definition as much as possible. Hmm. But he defines it as, as something that epitomizes and helps us to understand Providence. But it also goes beyond that, the direct link to a culture, a location, an aesthetic, and a moment. So it can be hmm. it can be anything. It can be that continental duck all orange, or yes. it can be Thai iced coffee or uh, General Tso's chicken. We really tried to take a very global scope to looking at what a classic is. And I love that, by the way, because I think that the definition of a classic is beautifully defined by James that way. But I also also think it's very personal. There are stories to many of the recipes that they sort of revive old culinary moments, I guess, or memories of my own. And then there's lots of fun facts and quotes on food from Ernest Hemingway and all that fun stuff. What do you love about the new version? Um, I couldn't agree more with you about, you know, a classic can be home cooking or it can come from one of the most elevated restaurants in the world, right? And we we have all of that in there. We have crepes from Brennan's and we have, you know, my own home recipe for uh, Rhode Island style clam chowder. And there isn't really a a hierarchy in there of one being lesser or greater than another. Um, I think we all know that that our grandmother's home cooking, you know, or that the recipes that we grew up eating at home are every bit as um, dear and relevant and classic mm-hmm. uh, as some of the, the, you know, creations of the greatest chefs in the world. Yes. Oh, and I, I agree with you. So we'll get to lunch and have your clam chowder in just a moment. But could we dish on breakfast first? I found an egg sandwich which we know is ever elevated with the continued growth of the egg sandwich mecca going on in this country. Um, But it's a ham, cheese, egg, and lemon. Okay, so lemon caught me right away because I'm an acid freak. But this combination of lemon curd and goat cheese is genius. Have you made it? Right, surprising, right? Oh, right? Yeah, I have, you know, and that like slick of sweet lemon curd offsets the ham and the egg so beautifully. You know, you love to have that, like, maybe your maple smoked bacon sometimes or that little bit of sweetness in your breakfast sandwich. Yes. It's so divine. Um, and the curd just sort of, like, melts together with the with a runny yolk, if you like a runny yolk, mm. or if you, leave your, if you leave your eggs a little bit soft, and it really brings the whole thing together beautifully. It is the best of Savour from over decades, in fact. It is global cuisine, flavors for Korean short ribs and um, an Iraqi spice-rubbed chicken and uh, just a salt-crusted sea bass, I believe it is, that I can't wait to make. It expands on every pasta shape. It gives you detailed illustration on how to braid bread. There is just an absolute beautiful collection of wealth and stories and recipes in the new Savour, the new classics cookbook, updated with new recipes and sections, over a thousand recipes, expert advice, tips, tales, and more. 
And the food photos are gorgeous. You're right. Kudos to you, Kat. You always contribute something beautiful. And you know that I love the wide and wonderful world of Savour. So I'm on the site all the time and I slobber on my computer and then I run to the kitchen to cook. So it seems fitting. <laughs> Thank you so really. much, Jamie. <laughs> Yes, of course. I hope really you'll come- appreciate it. Of course. I hope you'll come back and, and highlight more and um, to great success with the new cookbook. Thank you. I'll Thank you. I'll definitely be back. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of inspiring and delicious culinary conversation. At least I hope you thought so. I thank you for listening and I hope you'll tune in every weekend where there's lots more fabulous food to share. Uh, But don't go yet. Let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration for the hour. Uh, I'm sure that if you celebrated Easter this weekend or are set to, then you will have peeps left over. I don't mean your friends. I mean the marshmallow kind, of course. And um, you either love them or you don't. I happen to love them. This past week, I did dipped them in dark chocolate. Well, I put them on a stick or skewered them, dipped them in really good dark chocolate and finished them with a sprinkling of flake salt. That's a great thing to do to use them up. But if you have leftover peeps and you want to make a communal dessert for family or friends, this one is a winner. It's a whimsical recipe I call Peeps S'mores. Yes, all you do is heat some cream until it just comes to a simmer You put uh, chocolate chips into that cream. Essentially, you make a ganache and you whisk until smooth. And then you transfer it to um, a shallow casserole dish or a skillet. And you arrange the peeps on top and bake it uh, for just five or six minutes or so. And the peeps puff and the ganache bubbles away and then you serve it with graham crackers for dipping and you have peeps s'mores so fun i will post a picture and the recipe on facebook twitter and instagram at chef jamie gwen where i hope you will become a friend follower and fan and i will meet you here next weekend where we can sit down and dish some more Once again, I thank you for listening. Stay healthy and well. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. And please continue to eat well. 